0: This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student well-being, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to The Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast, an opportunity for us to talk with people who've been able to find a sense of purpose and call on their life and have done so in the context of their faith. This morning, I'm talking to Rory Darkins. Rory is a high achievement performance coach, had a background in traveling the world with professional cricket teams as a professional runner, done work with Olympic level athletes, Pursuing excellence in their performance. Very recently, Rory has adapted a unique well-being and performance program that is captured in an app in this digital age and uh, is really looking forward to the opportunity of talking with the young people here and there around how they can maximise their performance and their sense of well-being. Rory, welcome to the Inspiration Project podcast. How are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: It's a lovely to have you and people have already picked up just with those few sentences that you hail from the country of the long white cloud, um, New Zealand, um, born and bred.
1: Yeah, born and bred in New Zealand. Um, it was, uh, did all my schooling there and then um, cricket brought me to Australia eventually when I was in my early 20s. So kind of uh, here, I've been here ever since pretty much. I, uh, You're
0: living in Australia at the moment, Rory?
1: Yep. yeah. So, um, living down the Sutherland Shire and, um, love it. So also love being able to go back to New Zealand when we can, but, um, you know, definitely at home over here in, in Australia now.
0: Have you brought any family with you from New Zealand?
1: Yeah, I actually have. I've, uh, my wife is from the same um, town as me in New Zealand and, um, managed to convince her to try out living in Australia. Um, and that, um, that worked out. So here we are, we're we're here and we've got a one-year-old who was born over here. So, um, that's that's fantastic. We, we have, thank you.
0: Obviously a great deal of affinity with the, the folks across the ditch and, um, the, the the way that that country and that culture continues to contribute to, to, um, Australian courage and culture. So you mentioned that cricket Mm. brought you here Laurie. How did you get into cricket? When did that become a passion for you? And, and what was the nature of your involvement in cricket that brought you to Australia?
1: Yeah, um, cricket was my main passion when I was growing up. Um, it was the thing that I loved to do, and um, I had an older brother, three years older than me. So um, I was always trying to keep up with him, and he he started playing cricket, and so that was that was me. I ended up bowling the whole time because he wanted to bat, and he was older, so he got his way, um, and so. Um, throughout all of my formative years, I guess it was, um, all about cricket, very ambitious, wanting to, um, play at a high level and, um, kind of work my way through the age group representative, um, uh, competitions and things like that. And, um, and tried to have a crack at it. Um, you know, when I left school, I took a gap year and went over to England to play some club cricket. And so I could play 12 months of the year, you know, the New Zealand summer and then the English summer. Um, and did that a few times. Um, but then eventually it was, um, I came over to Australia to do some work with a, um, a, a spin bowling coach by the name of Peter Philpot, who, um, he's actually passed away this year. Um, but he was a great mentor of mine who taught me a, a lot about the art of, of, leg spin bowling. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to test myself over here and, and learn from, you know the best in that field so um that's sort of the short story of of cricket um and eventually transitioned out of that into more um you know i got really passionate about studying psychology and the mental skills mm. for wellbeing and performance so the sort of transition to working with other athletes kind of happened quite naturally from there
0: that's that's interesting and and um recognition to peter philpot one of the Mm. In Australian cricket, it must have been a real privilege for you to have spent some time under that tutelage. So let me draw that connection. You you mentioned, you know, as you started, even in your junior cricket, having an awareness that you were ambitious, that you wanted to Mm. play at the top level. Was that something that was inherent in your character? Was it something that grew out of your family, the competition with your older brother? Where did that root or that drive, that sense of, I I want to be good at this. Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I definitely think the formative part of it was the backyard competitions, you know, with my brother and trying to keep up, um, and being a spin bowler, um, you know, you always felt like it didn't matter if the kids were bigger than you, you know, you could kind of deceive them with a bit of spin or, or things like that, but, um, it quit quickly became, um, I think ultimately I was always driven by I loved the process of trying to improve. And so that was really what sustained me. I was, I was one of those people that was always practicing. I always like i would take a cricket board to school and, you know, spin it from hand to hand all the time. I just loved the fact that I could always work on something and always be, um, finding different creative ways to improve. Um, and so I think more than anything, it was that process of, um, knowing you could find a way to get better each day um, that that's, that gave me so much life and, um, and was almost a big part of the reward. Um, and so, you know, I just loved that whole process. And, and then with that came an aspiration to find out how good I could be. Um, and so being a small country, you know, New Zealand, uh, you naturally think, Oh, I want to play for New Zealand. And um, I kind of worked my way up to the the under 19, um, World Cup squad, but didn't make the the final team. But um, that was kind of, I guess, where that journey got to. But um, yeah, it was just the craft of it, you know, the, the craft of of constantly looking to to improve and to and to have a sense of mastery.
0: Mm. I, I want to come back to what it, what it must mean, or and what the era of some of that fundamental disappointment that you must experience with that under nineteen
1: selection. Mm.
0: And how do you how do you place that in the realm of the psychology of success? Mm. But what I'm, I think what I'm picking up, Rory, is that if it wasn't cricket, it would have been something that that you were a person who was going to be driven to improve, driven to to practice, rehearse, commit to to that growth.
1: Yeah, I think I think you bang on there, um, and I've found that in um, in my life now with with what I do with. Um, the you know the work side of things and um but that it's really i just love that process of trying to find creative ways to improve and and the consistency of always having something that you're thinking about um and exploring and and kind of um, refining um i i do love that so i found that um when it cricket ceased to be that for me it was um yeah, it naturally became something else, and so I think that is just part of of who I am. That I love that whole process of of trying to grow.
0: Mm, that's that's terrific. That, that uh, you found an avenue where what were your psychological traits and tendencies? Mm. So you had the physical attributes that could be developed. Like a, you, you, can't mm. just a, a regular guy off the street. I don't think can, can become a, a world class spin bowler. So you found uh, an avenue for, for those psychological mm. raised to, to be benefited. Is that an important part of it, finding your thing?
1: Yeah, look, this is a really, um, really good point. And I think, you know, since I've studied the, um, you know, the science of well-being and, um, and even, the, you know, the psychology around passion, um, passion is such an important component of well-being and, and growth in life. And obviously, you know, that particular craft, you know, spin bowling at the time was a passion of mine. Um, and it wasn't an out an outlet for me to, um, utilize, you know, the parts of my personality that I, that I love to use. But, um, equally, I think that, um, what I guess my journey has shown me is that, the passion for the thing that I love to do is, is one thing. Um, but then being able to take that passion and connect it with how it makes a difference to other people, has um, sort of what moved it from passion to purpose. Mm. And that's, um, you know, that's what I ultimately found by actually moving away from the sport and into helping other people, mm. um, with their, um, you know, with their pursuits is that I was still able to bring that same passion of how can I do this, Uh, how can I understand how to help this person the best I can? And how can I um, use and continually learn different skills and tools to help, but how can I map that onto making a difference beyond myself? Um, And so I think that, you know, when we can align our passion or, you know, bring passion to what we do, but then ultimately find ways to contribute that to a bigger purpose. That's where, um, you know, a whole new kind of life uh, emerges. Did, did
0: you have somebody in your life that was assisting you with that? Did you have somebody that was speaking um, positive, positive mindset, growth mentality, and mental disciplines, working into habits of discipline? Did you have somebody doing that or were you making it discovering yourself?
1: Yeah, to be—I um, had great parents. I want to acknowledge them that uh, you know they have always been very supportive, very encouraging, and very kind of life-giving in that way. Um, and I also had great mentors, and I think that's something that um, something that I learned through pursuing cricket is the the value of finding mentors and you know asking people you know, sharing honestly what it is that you want to do and what you're all about. Um, and then finding people who, who are willing to help, um, nurture that. And so I had great mentors, um, many of them, um, throughout my time with cricket and that, that those, um, you know, the things that they helped me with in pursuit of those goals were so transferable to anything else. So I think a lot of, um, the discipline and and the, um, the skills, that have been helpful in other areas of life actually came or were nurtured through, um, through mentors.
0: And, and were you the sort of person that sought out a mentor or did the relationship sort of stumble, you stumbled into those by chance? Was it something that was organic crafted? and mm. how, how does it mm. see do in terms of about the way a mentorship relationship should or could develop?
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, Again, I think my parents helped in the early days. They sort of identified like, hey, this person might be, you know, um, they're willing to help and, you know, they might be good to, to talk to and things like that. But I think just having a couple of early experiences with great coaches or great mentors um, showed me the value of that. And that led to me seeking it out and and realizing that more often than not, if you're authentic about what it is that you want to, you know, want to where you want to go and what you want to improve that people are willing to help, they actually often enjoy it. And so that helped me to then seek it out more proactively on my own accord and, um, you know, just contact people and say, Hey, you know, I'd love to learn from you. Um, here's what I want to do. A bit of cold would call, would you be willing to meet up? Yeah, yeah. And it's often people that you sort of vaguely know, like you sort of interact with here or there, and you, you're like, Oh, actually, I'd love to. Spend an hour with this person, you know, um, asking them questions or um, getting their perspective. Or, you know, I actually found, you know, some good mentors of mine, you know, um, there are a couple where I'd go for a run with them, you know, yeah. and it was like you just go for a jog and talk and in and, and those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. The so guidance came. So a
0: bit of intentionality, but also a little bit of organic just things mm. out of relationship.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: You, you mentioned, that you found your mentors were willing to help. But I wonder whether you could pass a comment on the other side of that equation, the willing to be helped, the, the notion yeah. of being open to, to that. What sort of mm. a role does that play in having input from others around you and, and learning from mm. and with them?
1: Yeah, look, I think um, the the research around that question is really strong around the value of what's called a growth mindset Mm. which is the belief that with effort and application that you're you can change and grow and improve that your abilities are not fixed um and so that growth mindset um and willingness to learn the willingness to not know you know and then to go and ask and and to explore um explore um things and to try and fail and then to learn and try again, you know, that whole process is, I think, um, so when you can bring that kind of mindset to anything that you want to do, suddenly there's far less fear of failure. There's far less fear of judgment because you realize that you're not expected to, um, have it all figured out or to, you know, do everything perfectly all the time that actually, if you can embrace, the uncertainty of how something is going to go and see that as a great learning opportunity regardless of what happens then Mm -hmm. you're so much more open to um to whatever happens and you can extract the learning and growth from that Mm. and so um i think that mindset you know and being that kind of um it's often talked about i guess as a beginner's mind where you sort of just very curious very open to new ideas and learning and um exploring that is so fruitful when it comes to um improving in anything
0: yeah that, that's good you know teachability is a, mm. coming from the education sector mm. sort of uh, yeah. the the language we might put onto it but but that's so it's yeah. an interesting perspective for you to bring that it is it isn't um necessarily acknowledgement of of weakness but it's the removal of pressure of expectation mm-hmm. that's a really interesting that in itself is a psychology right that you are yeah adopting mind um, positions w- views mm-hmm. of yourself in the world that that will change the way you experience the world not yeah. by circumstances but by the your response to those circumstances
1: yeah well that's one of the most common things that i see Hold people back is, you know, I talked about a growth mindset. There, the alternative mindset is a fixed mindset, where you feel like your abilities are, um, are fixed, that they can't really change. And so that the the issue with having a fixed mindset when it comes to to almost anything is that if you are seen to try and you fall short, that feels like it is personally displaying that you don't have what it takes and it, it feels far more vulnerable and far more, um, there's a greater fear of that, a greater fear of failure when you have the mindset of, well, if I fail, what does that mean about who I am um, versus seeing failure as, as feedback, it's a, an opportunity to learn and grow and, and can move you forward. So, um, I think, yeah, choosing to adopt a growth mindset around our abilities and around our, um, you know what it is that we want to want to do can liberate us to pursue that and to grow and to not fear failure.
0: Mm, that's good. So you've used a few phrases dotted through through our conversation so far, Rory. That of um, they sound very similar to one another, but I'd like to explore if we can yeah. some of the distinctions. So you've talked about the science of success, the psychology of well-being, high performance, growth mindset when you're dealing with a thing like sport, Mm. the science of success is very tangible, right? You, you can see what is going to be the, you you want to improve your bowling average or your accuracy or your penetration Mm. or the time for your, for whatever run it is that you're, that you're doing. Where, where do you draw distinctions between the society, the science of success? How do I, Reach the pinnacle of some sort of challenge versus the psychology of well-being. Are they different? Mm. How do you see mm. them?
1: Yeah, that's a massive question and one that I—that's basically the question that got me into this field of um, research and and what I do now. And as I, um, I had a couple of close friends who were performing at the olymp the uh, competing at the Olympic Games and. They um, were, you know, from an outsider looking in perspective, they were at the top of their game. You know, they were living the dream, so to speak. But what I noticed in speaking to them is that their pursuit of peak performance in that way was actually coming at the expense of their well-being. Mm. And um, that got me. Thinking about does it have to be that way? Is it really that, you know, six it's this case of you choose success or well-being? Mm -hmm. And you can't have both, right? And so that question led me into the research. And when I got deep into the research and then also did my own research with former Australian test cricket captains and coaches, the conclusion was actually the opposite, Mm and that it was really clear. That it's not an either or choice between well being or performance. That well being and performance are like two sides of the same coin, and that well being is a platform for sustainable high performance. Mm. So, if we want to get the best out of ourselves over the long term, then we need to invest in our well being in order to be able to do that. And, and they do absolutely go together. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely see them as the, obviously different things. Um, You know, the, the time that you're able to run is different to your overall wellbeing, but if you are looking after um, your wellbeing and you're satisfying um, your needs around wellbeing and you're, you're really flourishing in that area and, in all the areas of wellbeing, then you're going to be, in a better position to do what it takes to realize your potential and, you know, your chosen performance domain as well.
0: Mm. So that's what I'm hearing in some ways there is just you can going to adopt certain, the, the science of psychology to reach a summit, set yourself a mm. goal, oh, I'm going to win this gold medal, I'm going to get to this mm. cup team and all the hard work and the discipline and the mentoring and the coaching that's going to get me mm. to that point if that's all you are trying to do, Mm. you might sacrifice some broader aspects of who you are for the sake of that external measure of success. But you're telling me that's a bit of a shallow measure of success.
1: Yeah. And it's not the required path. You know, I think we have this, there's a bit of a myth out there that, um, you have to sacrifice everything if you want something like that. And it's really just not the case. Um, And so what, um, the, the issue with, um, if you narrow it right down to like, yeah, I'm going to reach this particular summit of, you know, a goal I've set for myself and I'm going to do that at all costs. And I'm just going to, you know, put the blinkers on and only focus on that. The issue with that and what was, um, what I found so often impacts athletes who kind of, um, And incidentally falls into that trap is that their whole identity and um, self-worth becomes wrapped up in that particular performance. And so they are only as valuable as a person in their own minds as their performance dictates. So, you know, if they win, then they feel like, Oh, I'm a great, I'm a really valuable person. And if they fall short, then they're worthless. Right. And that's the trap of, um, entangling our identity with our, with what we do. Uh, and so I think what's so healthy is to, um, create that space between your identity and worth as a person and the things that you do that you can still absolutely be passionate and, and focused on, um, on doing what it is that you love to do, but that is not the determinant of your value as a person.
0: Mm. Yeah. So that, that I am my performance. Mm. Is a, actually a limiting notion of, of who you are.
1: Yeah, and, there's a lim- and it's a limiting notion in terms of performance too because then when you line up to compete, you feel like you're competing for your entire self-worth. Yeah. And that creates a heightened um, state of stress, a heightened you know, um, fear of failure because suddenly it's not just losing the game that's at stake. It's everything you believe yourself to be is at stake. And that's not a great place to perform freely from.
0: Yeah. What about Rory when you feel that sense of expectation to achieve, to perform, succeed, and and it's come from an external source? It's not actually – I'm thinking, describing – hearing you talk about this, I'm thinking of when um, Kathy Freeman was lining up at the Sydney Olympics for the 400-metre final and the weight of the nation – or or any of our national teams, you know, with the the Australian cricket team, mm. and the whole nation is expecting mm. David Warner or Steve Smith yeah. to go out and save the Test with a with a speech. yeah. How do you manage that when it's or maybe it's your parents, maybe it's
1: mm. your mm. family
0: that is looking for you to be something in the moment. Mm. Yeah, what, where does the psychology of wellbeing kick in there?
1: Yeah, look. Um, Everyone who is um able to perform at the pinnacle of of you know of sport, you know, the examples you use there, high performance happens from being deeply present in the moment that you're in. And so the skill set that is required to develop is the ability to focus on what's important in the moment that you're in right now and focus on what you can control. Because how much other people want you to win or how much the nation wants an outcome to happen, that's really only a distraction if you were to focus on it. And it doesn't actually help you to achieve that result by thinking about it, by focusing on how much other people want it. Whereas if you can use that, um, obviously it's not to ignore that. It's to almost embrace that. Mm. and use almost redirect the energy of that Mm. toward, well, what can I, how do I best focus my mind on what I can control right now? Mm. And that skill set moment by moment. So in a cricket example, it's ball by ball, each ball, it's just, well, it's about watching the ball and doing your process that helps you to see the ball and hit the ball and and make good decisions. And so if you can just keep bringing your mind back to the moment right now, that Mm. is what's going to, those moments will add up to the best chance of the result that everyone wants happening, anyway. And so, it's a, it is a skill set, you know, um, that we, we benefit from developing and, and working on, so that we're able to bring our mind into the moment and focus on what matters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's yeah. <laughs> Those are some some pretty uh intense examples obviously and it's not easy in those examples but really the skill is is still that simple
0: so what you're describing i think there is what those those enduring champions or the the big game player you know those mm. those uh, athletes that you know they're the big moment performances mm. that's sort of what they're doing they they're, they're yeah. not ignoring it they're not shutting it out recognizing this is a moment and Concentrating or using that moment, it's like good stress
1: and bad stress, right? I guess. Yep. Correct.
0: Focus on the skills that they've raised about being in the moment. Yep.
1: Yep. Exactly right. And that's often the difference. You know, if you watch, you watch sport, you watch a game of tennis or you watch, um, you know, any kind of contest like that, it's really so often it's the, um, the athlete who's better able to stay in the moment mm-hmm. when there's so much that could pull them out of the moment. Um, you know, that, that's what they're doing. And I think of someone like Roger Federer, you know, he, yeah. you can see from the outside just how good he is at that, that he just comes back to literally <laughs> you, blows a little bit of breath on his hand. Does his routine. And he seems to rise in those moments but he doesn't do it by thinking about how much he wants it he does it by heightening his focus in on the moment that he's in
0: yeah that's good i, I want to at some stage draw the parallel or the extend conversation we've been having primarily around sports and achievement and mm. the more general life but let me go back to mm. what that i mentioned earlier about in dealing with disappointment if you're in mm. if you're adopting this this notion, and even if you have come to the point of saying, "I'm disconnecting my achievement or my performance mm. this instance from who I am," mm. it there's still disappointments. You get to the totally. Point, it, you know, you didn't make that team, or you didn't make that final, or you didn't make that that mm. uh, personal best. Where where does that fit in, in terms mm. of this idea of my well being?
1: Mm. Yeah, um, I think the the important first step with any disappointment is to acknowledge it and realize that part of being human is to feel the full range of human emotion, and disappointment is one of those emotions. And we feel disappointment when something that is important to us um, is is lost or is you know doesn't doesn't eventuate, and and so the the fact that we feel disappointed really just tells us that we care. And it's important to care about, you know, about the things that you value. And so we don't want to diminish the disappointment. We actually want to create space to feel it and create space to honor it. Um, and so that's sort of step one is just really acknowledging, like, oh, I'm feeling disappointed because that outcome or that, you know, that situation, that's really important to me. Um, and so because, of how important that is to you, you then have the choice as to what you're going to do with the disappointment. Mm. And um, the best thing we can often do is to find a way to harness it. Mm. And so rather than try to diminish it or, you know, suppress the disappointment, it's really, how can we repurpose that pain or how can we harness that disappointment in a way that is helpful and moving us forward Mm. in a way that, we want to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a practical example with sport can be that, you know, you don't get an outcome, you don't make a team or something like that. And that disappointment can help to fuel you to focus on what you can do to improve for next time. Mm. It can be, it can be literally, you know, a, a motivator. That, that moves you forward mm. as opposed to something that causes you to be despondent. So that's a good example of harnessing it and going, all right, what's important to me? How can I use this or harness this feeling in order to help me make those values based choices that move me toward the life that I want and being the person that I want to be.
0: Mm. Even when those things have come about at your, your own mistakes, your own misjudgments or things that you've done, that you were in control of and you, you didn't control well in the moment.
1: Yeah. And so, in those, when, when you do see that there's that personal like, um, sense of, I could have done that better. Well, there's your learning opportunity, you know, rather than that be something that we beat ourselves up about, it can be something that is harnessed as a really clear way to improve. So, okay. Yeah. I I wish I did this, that, and the other thing better. So, what am I going to do with that learning? How can I use that to help me to be better Mm. at this thing that's important to me? How can this help me for next time? And so, you know, rather than dwelling on, you know, what hasn't happened or what did happen, um, you know, it's it's extracting the learning, extracting the growth, and using that in a way that is helpful to move forward with.
0: In that context, uh, Rory, what is it? Well, what advice do you give in regards to just letting some dreams go? And I've given this a, a red hot shake and mm. it's not going to happen.
1: Mm. Uh, look, I uh, have personal experience of that because, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you as someone who didn't play cricket for the country, you know, who that is growing up, that's, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, that process can be, um, it can be there can be a grief in that um, because you're letting go of um, a big part of, of who you've known yourself to be and um, and a vision of the future that you've held um, and it is obviously a very personal thing and and I think only the individual themselves can know what is the right thing for them you know when is the right time just to sort pivot but what I will say on that is um, through more with my personal example was that not achieving that original vision that I had for myself and the way that I imagined it actually like pursuing it led me to something greater (laughs) that is even there's something that I love even more and something that feels even more aligned with who I am and, and it feels even more purposeful. And so I think if we can pursue what it is that we have um, you know, that, that we're passionate about, that we want to do, it doesn't totally matter whether it works out or not, because it can sometimes lead to other things working out that can be potentially more purposeful or even better. And, but I wouldn't have got to that had I not pursued cricket, you know, I wouldn't have got to doing what I'm doing right now. And so I think there's something to be said for, pursuing it without needing to know if it's going to work out. Yeah. But then when it comes time to, to pivot, you know, think of it as a pivot. It's not like I'm going back to square one It's actually, you're using all of those experiences and all the growth that you, you gained in pursuing the original thing that is a valuable asset that you can bring into the thing that you're now going to focus on. Um, And so nothing is wasted or lost if you're going about it in a way where you're constantly trying to learn about yourself and learn about, um, you know, how to get the best out of yourself. So um, that could help with the pivot.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Rory, we've been talking a lot, sometimes very explicitly, but often implicitly about, a complex understanding of who we are, that we mm-hmm. are about our, our performances. We are about our connections and relationships. We are about our dreams and our goals and our psychology. Mm. There is also the spiritual aspect of mm-hmm. human existence and the, the place of the n- things that we can't control because they're beyond our control, mm. including things that are, that are supernatural. You're, you're a person that um, holds to a faith. And the mm. place of faith in God in your life. Can you perhaps tell us a little bit about how, how did you come to be a person of faith?
1: Yeah, um, really through people. Um, you know, um, I um, met my wife, um, I t- became my wife um, when I was in my early 20s and um, she'd grown up with a, a strong faith and I um, I hadn't grown up in church or anything like that. Um, but it was getting to know her and then also, um, getting to know, um, Eloise who we've talked about before, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and kind of is really through those, um, experiences and getting to know people that I, something kind of resonated with, with me about what I kind of felt like I was already, um, I was already intuitively kind of, you know, grasping or understanding or feeling, but then kind of gave some more concrete, um, sort of terms and framework to work with. So, um, yeah, really through, through people and through, um, I was always, I was always curious about, um, the big questions in life and, you know, like how, how it all works and what is, um, what's where does purpose and meaning and all that come from and, and what makes, you know, what makes everything, you know, that we experience, um, be as it is. And, um, and I think what resonated with me was, um, that interestingly, I guess the field of positive psychology that I gravitated to was a field called positive psychology, which is all about the question of what makes life worth living and what is the good It's like this, the study of the good within humans. <laughs> and I found that there was a lot of overlap between that science and then, you know, um, the, the teachings around, around faith. So that it's, um, you know it's when we think about ourselves as we are unique individuals, and that there's this um there is this goodness in people that can be nurtured and um you know and and built upon and and harnessed I think you know that was kind of where i saw saw the connection and and kind of felt like it really resonated with me
0: mm. and in some of the conversation we've had uh i I don't want to put words in your mouth but but maybe there's also that notion of the inherent frailty that is subject to a limited understanding of ourselves or of our purpose or mm. of how things are, are mapping out Do you see yeah that in the story of faith also
1: yeah absolutely i think you know there's the we use the saying a lot and you know i think and um In our culture around things happen for a reason Um, You know, I know that That sort of transcends a lot of frameworks But, um, you know I think that was quite pertinent for me That, you know, when things didn't work out Maybe there was a reason, you know That um, one door closed And another opened that I couldn't see And so I think definitely um, Moving forward with a, A sense of faith and hope That you didn't actually need to have it all Figured out or be able to control Everything in order to have a deep optimism about what was around the corner and a, and a sense of um, a sense of peace about what, you know, what was coming. Mm. Um, That that was definitely a a core part of my, my story and experience of, of sort of, I guess, living in such an unknown, you know, like pursuing things where I didn't know what the outcome was going to be and moving countries and not knowing what that was going to look like or whether it was the right decision and all of that. And it's really just trusting that now I feel I feel something about this. This feels like the right thing to do. And so I haven't just manufactured that feeling. You know, there's something to that. It's bigger than me. So let's go with it.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So what I, what I'm hearing you say there is that having God now involved in your life and helping set some of the aspirations and the directions, it's it's another not um, you know we we talk all about taking the pressure off of mm. this. It's, it's all up to me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Yeah, um, to see that there is there is now a different scope of. Having a sense of peace and purpose in your life.
1: Yeah, definitely a less, definitely less uh need for control. <laughs> you know, definitely like I I joked earlier that I was sort of um, you know, that I was kind of passionate, but probably obsessive about, you know, my pursuits of of with sport. And I think, you know, the line between passion and obsession is an interesting one, but you know, the difference is the sense of who's in, who's in control, you know, and I think when you have, when it becomes obsessive, it's like this clinging to it, this clinging to an outcome and feeling like the activity itself is, is sort of compelling you to always think about it and always do it. Whereas when you're passionate, but without that need to cling and hold on and control everything you you're passionate from a place of, um, in a, from a, a much more, um, trusting place that, yeah. Hey, I don't have to be in control all the time. I can just do my best in each moment. Um, and let's see, you let's be curious about where that leads. You know, I think that, um, that was sort of a, a big shift for me that has been, you know, and even going into kind of entrepreneurial activities later on, you know, it's like, when you you do a startup um, business, you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. You don't know what the path of that's going to be. And so it's very much the same thing of just, you know, taking the best next step and then trusting that, you know, things happen for a reason and you'll be able to be guided along the way.
0: Mm, Well, that's a great segue into the the next part of the question I wanted to ask of you, sport, achievement, all that world of, of, uh, a demonstrable success, mm. what parallel, what what connections does it have with being a good father, being a husband, being mm. a business person? Where where do you measure or how do you get towards success in those other parts of the complexity of our human existence?
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think um in the question is actually, you know, a, a really key point and that is how do we define success? Mm. you know and I've come to learn um that you know success is for me defined as being the person that I want to be mm. it's it's not so defined by what are the outcomes of you know of that of you know um I guess what would typically think of as a success in society is measured in those other ways and so um when success is being the person you want to be then that naturally just involves all areas you know it's as a parent it's as a in your business relationships it's in you know your um your activities and your friendships it's sort of it it doesn't um it's, it's not a different answer necessarily across those different things it's like am i being who i want to be and am i you know moving towards what's most important to me If that's success, then success is available every day. Yeah, that's good. It's not waiting for that. You know, you don't have to wait for an Olympics (laughs) or you know or any kind of equivalent of that in order to see if you're successful or not.
0: Yeah, that's really great. And and that's where the qualities of faith we were talking about earlier comes in, isn't it? Who do I want to be? I want to be like Jesus. I want to be that uh, that disciple that's Mm. being in the same love and the same generosity and the same freedom that um that he incarnated in a way
1: yeah and you know and like there's um and positive psychology that talk about a similar thing in the lens of character strengths it's saying like there are these character strengths and virtues that um you know we can that are some of the best parts of being human you know some of the best qualities um that we that we have and it's about utilizing those, you know, it's about, you know, whether it's humility or whether it's love or whether it's, um, creativity or, um, kindness, you know, it's, it's actually aspiring to cultivate and utilize those virtues, those, those yeah. qualities. Um, and you know, that, you know, so much is, is what it means to, you know, be the person that you want to be is to, yeah. to kind of embody those, those qualities.
0: Yeah, that's great. Rory, I know that you've, um, harnessed a lot of your thinking experience and research in some technology do you want to talk to us mm. a little bit about how how that's manifesting in uh in your deep well-being app
1: yeah um so the transition from sport to studying the science of well-being and performance um kind of led me to realize that it's all very well to kind of, you know, do what I did and read all the books and be really passionate about all these topics and do that deep dive. But what about people who, you know, don't have time for that or don't, you know, want to spend or spend years studying that, like, how can anyone um, be guided to cultivate the best version of themselves and to optimize their well-being well-being and, and, you know, their definition of success. And so with that, Technology seemed to be part of the answer because it means that we can make it accessible anywhere, anytime. Um, And so that's what led me to to co-found an app um, called Innate, which is IN and then the number eight. Um, And the innate app is, is really a personalized guide to building what um, we've identified as eight areas of, of wellbeing. Um, and so it will through a daily conversation um, on your, on your iPhone, like, you know, um, i ask you a bunch of questions or measure a few things and, and, you know, help you to set your priorities for the day and help you to determine like what sort of person do you want to be today? Um, and so just with, through that daily process, it will learn about, you're at your best, it'll learn about how you're going in different areas of your well being and will help you to learn um, how to optimize those areas of your well being. So, um, the eight areas are your strengths, which we've, we've touched on before those positive qualities that help you as a unique individual to be at your best, um, your values, so the principles that matter most to you, um, your mindset, uh, so the mindset and mental skills that we've touched on in this conversation, and also purpose, you know, your. Where does purpose come from for you as a unique human being? Your purpose is going to look different to you as it does to me. Um, so those are the sort of first four. And then the other four are your health. Uh, and we've got your needs. So there's psychological needs that we all um, have that if we can satisfy and, and really build on, um, they help our well-being. Things like connection. You know, we need to connect with other people and have strong relationships. Um, there's our breath. Which is probably the most underrated aspect of our well-being and performance is that the way we breathe is influencing our our well-being and performance either positively or negatively, and it's a skill set that we can improve and utilize. Um, and then, lastly, our emotions. So, you know, how are we feeling? You know, how how are you feeling, and how can you? Um, build great emotional health and and also the ability to navigate the complex emotions that you know (laughs) come with being human so those are the uh the eight areas
0: now we have uh been talking very broadly well-being psychology of of uh well-being we've got students who are listening to this we've probably also got their parents or Mm. uh, the, the app is that targeted to a particular audience is it a general audience that could make that- mm.
1: yeah um we've done a lot of testing with um teenagers and also adults and what we've found is that um it is best suited to anyone who's wanting to grow you know so anyone who's willing to put in five minutes a day mm. to go through the daily check-in that the app gives you where it asks you those questions about you know what's important to you today and um how are you feeling and learning why and 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 so as long as you're driven to improve your well-being or you know show up better in life and you're willing to utilize something like this regularly it doesn't have to be every day but it's ideally you know it's a regular thing regular part of your day then the benefits really come from what you do with that knowledge so you know if it helps you to clarify what your priorities are and the sort of person you want to be that day then the benefit really comes from how you then go out and do that Mm. um and so you know it's um it it works well for for anyone who's willing to you know think of well-being and in the same way as they think about you know, physical fitness, that it's not something that you just, you know, you don't just go for one run and expect to be fit, you know, like you sort of make it a regular habit and it it doesn't take much, but it does take consistency in order to really go a long way.
0: Yeah. Rory, that was um, an area that I was hoping we might've got a chance to speak to. We might have to ask you back for another session to talk about how do you turn habits and self-disciplines into routine Mm. that, that support Mm. these sorts of aspirations. Yeah. Um, any any last yeah. words that you'd like to give to uh, the people who are listening today about how they can do a better job, or start to do a job of looking after their sense of well-being and their purpose?
1: The app is actually free to start using, and if well, it take it's only on the iPhone at the moment on the App Store. But um, you know, in, there's a for the paid version of it. There's a three month free trial right now as well, so there's really no barrier to trying something like this out. And so uh, because of that, what I'd recommend is that people, if you've got an iPhone, um, just give it a go and give yourself, give yourself at least a week of doing it every day and just seeing what happens. Um and a more broad answer, you know, say if you if you don't want to use the app or anything like that, a broad answer would be just to um think about and kind of tune into giving yourself the same guidance that you would give. A best friend or someone that you really care about Good. because often we're so critical about ourselves and the voice in our head can be quite um quite critical and um and hold us back whereas if we were just to think beyond ourselves for a minute and think about well if my best friend was in this situation what would i say to them um suddenly we can start taking our and speak our taking better advice from ourselves and also speaking to ourselves in a more healthy way so um, that would be a practice that I would encourage anyone to, to consider is how are you speaking to yourself and does it sound like the way you'd speak to someone you really care about?
0: Amen. Um, my thoughts there head to the the notion of uh, where we were touching on some aspects of faith to say, you know, mm. God wants the best for you too and in mm. him there's no condemnation. There mm-hmm. will be always a tomorrow and uh, mm-hmm. another go. Rory Dark, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and well done on uh, having navigated the complexities of your life and your story to lead you to the place where you can bring so much help to other people.
1: Ah, Thanks, Brendan. That's, thanks so much. And um, I hope it's been helpful to, to anyone listening. I wish you all the best in your well-being and becoming who you want to become. Thanks, Rory. Thank you.